Wait, what? So this happened. I'm Rachel Vallesnor, and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End, although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end, though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why, when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. This episode is focused on Marianne Robeson, Mowbray, Ward, Robinson, Cotton. Born Marianne Robeson on October 31st, 1832. Yes, she has had many names over her 40 years of existence. She was born in Low Moresley in the city of Sunderland, northeast England. She was born to Michael and Margaret Robeson. Her father was a coal miner. She had a sister born two years later but had only lived a few months. Then her brother was born in 1835. When Mary Ann was eight, her parents moved the family to County Durham Village of Morton. Her Sunday school superintendent would later describe her saying she was a most exemplary and regular attender, a girl of innocent disposition and average intelligence, and distinguished for her particularly clean and tidy appearance. Not too long after the move in February 1842, Marianne's father would fall 150 feet to his death, down a mine shaft. His body would be delivered to her mother in a sack bearing the stamp property of South Heaton Coal Company. Unfortunately, the cottage the family lived in was tied to his job, and that meant eviction for the rest of the family. Marianne's mother would remarry a year later to another coal miner. At the age of 16, Marianne would leave her mother to the nearby village of South Heaton to become a nurse in a home that belonged to the manager of the coal mine. After three years, she returns home and trains as a dressmaker. At the age of 20 in 1852, Marianne marries husband number one, a coal miner named William Mowbray, at the registry office in Newcastle. Shortly after, they would move to southwest England. According to reports, there were either four or five children that may have died in a short period of time. None of the deaths are officially reported due to the fact that there was no law to enforce births or deaths being recorded until 1874. However, there is one birth on record, a daughter, Margaret Jane, in 1856, right before they moved back to northeast England. William worked as a fireman aboard a steam vessel sailing out of Sunderland, then as a coal miner. Another daughter was born in 1858. Her name was Isabella. In 1860, Margaret Jane dies. In 1861, another daughter was born, also named Margaret Jane. How original. In 1863, a son was born by the name of Robert John William. He would only survive a year, then die of gastric fever. William would die of an intestinal disorder in 1865. Marianne would collect life insurance money on her husband and two of her deceased children. Soon after William Mowbray's death, Marianne moved to Seam Harbor, a seaside town in County Durham, England, with her two daughters and started a new relationship with Joseph Natras. During this time period, the then three-and-a-half-year-old and second Margaret Jane would die of typhus fever. 
Leaving only one remaining living child, Isabella, out of the nine born to Marianne. She returns to Sunderland to work at the infirmary, House of Recovery for the Cure of Contagious Fever, Dispensary and Humane Society. Marianne sends her only surviving child, Isabella, to live with her mother. Marianne marries husband number two, George Ward, who was an engineer. On August 28, 1865, they met when he was a patient at the infirmary. Ward suffers a long illness until he dies on October 20, 1866. He had an illness that would be described as paralysis and intestinal problems. The official cause of death on his death certificate in English cholera and typhoid. His doctor would state that Ward had been very ill, but that his death came on so suddenly. Marianne would collect life insurance on Ward. Shocker. Not. James Robinson worked as a shipbuilder in the suburb of Sunderland, whose wife had recently died. Robinson hired Marianne as a housekeeper in November 1866. Just a month later, Robinson's son John dies of gastric fever. Lucky for him. He doesn't need to go far for comfort. He is, of course, turned to his housekeeper who becomes pregnant. Marianne's mother, who lived in Seam Harbor, became sick with hepatitis, so Marianne immediately goes to tend to her mother. Her mother seemingly begins to recover but starts suffering from horrible stomach pains and dies in the spring of 1867 at the age of 54. Man, I wonder what happened. Oh wait, no I don't. Marianne brings her daughter Isabella back to the Robinson house where she sadly dies very shortly after arriving, where she suffered severe stomach pains as well as two of James Robinson's children do as well. They also die. Luckily for Marianne, she would be able to collect on Isabel's life insurance as well. Yes, here comes husband number three, James Robinson, marries Mary Ann on August 11, 1867. Their first child would be born in November, Mary or Margaret Isabella, who dies in February 1868. Their second child, George, is born June 18, 1869. Mary Ann insisted on ensuring her husband's life, and he became a bit suspicious of this. About time. She acquired quite a bit of debt and had stolen quite a bit of money from third husband. She also made his older children pawn household valuables. He throws her out and gets custody of their son, George. Mary Ann becomes desperate and living on the streets. A friend by the name of Margaret Cotton decides to introduce Mary Ann to her brother, Frederick Cotton a recent widower. He had also lost two of four children, leaving two sons, Frederick Jr. and Charles. His sister, who introduced them, had been taking care of the two children as a substitute mother. Well, she dies in March 1870 due to an unknown stomach ailment. It's totally okay, though, because Marianne will be there to pick up the pieces and, yes, open the door for a 12th pregnancy. Husband number four, Frederick Cotton, and Mary Ann were married September 17, 1870. This was just a touch odd due to the fact that she was mm, still married to husband number three. Their son Robert was born in early 1871. Soon after his birth, Mary Ann would learn that her former lover, Joseph Natras, lived 30 miles away from the couple. He was no longer married. So, obviously, she needed to rekindle their romance and convince her new husband to move closer to him, which she did. So he was rewarded with, you guessed it, 
gastric fever that December. No worries, though, since Marianne collected not only Frederick Cotton's life insurance, but two of his sons as well. Way too close to Frederick Cotton's death, Joseph Natras became Marianne's lodger. Mm, what? She then becomes a nurse to excise officer recovering from smallpox. There are no clear records of who this actual person is or what his real name is. Much speculation. Be that as it may, her new lover produces Marianne's 13th child. In May 1872, one of the two living children of Frederick Cotton, Frederick Cotton Jr., dies of gastric fever. And, oh, Joseph Natchez soon becomes suddenly ill with, shocker, gastric fever. But not to worry. Joseph had already named Marianne as a beneficiary to his life insurance. Phew. In 1872, a parish official would ask Marianne to nurse a woman with smallpox back to health. She complained that the last remaining cotton son, Charles, was a burden and in the way, and that he should be committed to a workhouse. She said the boy was sickly but wouldn't trouble her for too much longer, that he would go like the rest of the cottons. Five days later, Charles is dead. The parish official would go to the police to try and convince them to investigate this death due to a suspicious circumstance and wait until the investigation was finished before they issue a death certificate. Due to this delay, Marianne could not collect on Charles's life insurance. Natural causes was the verdict. Marianne lashes out and says the only reason she was accused of suspicion was due to the fact that she rejected the parish official's advances. Sure. The local newspaper started to do some digging and realized the wake Marianne was leaving behind. Can you say gastric fever and stomach cramps? Word gets out. Suspicion looms and it sparks a scientific investigation. The doctor who attended to Charles kept samples and these samples contained arsenic. The doctor informs the police of the samples. Marianne is arrested and Charles's body is exhumed. Marianne is charged with murder. The trial would be delayed due to the fact that Marianne was pregnant with her 13th child, her last child. Her name is Margaret. Marianne's trial began on March 5, 1873. There was another delay due to the trial, this time due to prosecution counsel selection. For the attorney that was selected for this trial, this would be the first of several poisoning cases that he would be involved in during his career. Well... I guess when you're good at something, eesh. The defense would try and claim that Charles died by inhaling arsenic from the green dye in the wallpaper throughout the cotton house. The defense went after the chemist used by Charles's doctor, claiming that the arsenic was on the same shelf as the other medicines used to treat him, and stated that while medicine was being prepped for the cotton family, that the chemist mixed the incorrect medicine due to being distracted. The jury would deliberate for a full 90 minutes. What verdict would they return with? Hmm, I wonder. Guilty. With all the guilt. I'm sure this won't come as a shock that she maintained her innocence throughout her trial. Her cold, calm demeanor was only disturbed once at the trial, and once only, when the jury declared her the murderer that she was. Several petitions were presented to the senior minister of the crown, Marianne was convinced she would receive the royal prerogative of mercy when she didn't and instead was hanged on March 24, 1873. Her victims got their justice. 
Not only did her neck not break right away due to a noose that was simply too short, she got to suffer on the noose until she dies by strangulation. Deliberate much? Man, I hope so. Oh well. She was 40 when she died. Talk about a busy woman. She had murdered three out of four husbands, a lover, a friend, and 11 out of her 13 children. Her own mother? Hmm. Her murder toll was speculated to be close to 21 murders. How do you wrap up a story like that? I'll take a stab at it. Sometimes you get what you deserve, and sometimes people dance on your grave to emphasize that you got what you deserved. My hope is that no one has to live in fear, ever. As always, I will never give up and read the signs. Special thanks to all the reading materials I could get my hands on, internet mostly. Thanks to wikipedia.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rachel Vallesnor, and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. <laughs>